Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. All right. How's everybody doing today? I love George and Banoff. He's just a great guy. He, um, I wish I could get my hair to do what his does. Which, uh, <laughs> he's so, you know, he is, in person, he's just like what you think he would be. He's such a joyful guy. Over the years, I've been on, we've had the opportunity to be with him many, many times. He's a friend, and uh, if you go out to eat with him, he's likely to pull out a little bag of peppers that he carries around in his pocket, hot peppers, and he cuts them up right there at the table and puts them on his food. So he'll even offer you one if you get a chance. He's coming Thanksgiving weekend. So the Sunday after Thanksgiving, whatever that is, the 20-whatever, 8th or 9th, <clears throat> George will be here, and we're looking forward to it because he's, a, he's the apostle of joy. I tell you, it's amazing. Uh, what God uses it for. Hey, hey is anyone, uh, anyone like to go to Blossom tonight? Anyone? Is there anyone out there? A couple or a, a couple single friends, whatever kind of thing. Anyone here? Want to go to Blossom tonight? I've got tickets. Anyone? Nobody wants to? I'll give them a Who cares? It's Blossom. <laughs> so it's like, boy, picky crowd. Like, who's it going to be? Is Elton John there or Dave Matthews? Like, who is it? It's the Cleveland Orchestra. Cleveland Orchestra's there doing... Uh, is that what it is? Beethoven's Ninth tonight. Okay, anyone want to do that? Okay, come on up and get your tickets, by the way. Uh, we've got two twos here. So anyone else want to go? Okay, the other two will go up to Middleburg. I'll get them up there. There you go, enjoy those. Let us know what it was like. And we were there. Uh, <clears throat> we were there Thursday night for uh, Mav City. Uh, amazing. I wasn't able to stay the whole time. I, apparently, they went way on into the night. Great time of worship, and it was a, uh, it was a just a magical moment. Um, hey, open your Bibles if you could to Luke eight. <clears throat> we're still in the series. Excuse me, here I can clear. There we go. We're in the uh, series Word and the Power of the Word of God. Also, hey, this week we're starting, uh, a couple weeks ago we decided to begin to insert some weekly uh, prayer sets. And so on Wednesdays from, I, I think I'll get this right, from uh, 6.30 or 7.30? 6.30, that's right, 6.30 to 8.30 in the morning right here. I'll be leading a prayer set uh, this Wednesday. Come and join me. We'll be out in the lobby. be walking around with music playing. Uh, We'll uh, pray through a number of issues, uh, specifically praying for our country and our church, but our country. And uh, what's going on in our country right now, there's a lot of challenges and difficulties in our nation, which I'll talk about today. And we really felt led to begin to Pray into those and pray for those. So come out and join us if you can. You can drop in at any time. You don't have to be here at 6.30. I will. I'm here at 6.30 every morning anyway, walking around the building, praying over things like that. So come and join me, and we'll pray in the lobby. We're going to have a great time with uh, some music being played and so forth. Then 
at noon to one, correct? Noon to one. We also have another prayer set here. Come and join us noon to one and from 6.30, seven, seven to nine, seven to, seven to 8.30, 90 minutes, thank you. I didn't have any of this right, but other than that, seven to 8.30, we will have another prayer set. We also have youth going on during that time. You can bring your youth if you have them or find a youth on the way and bring them. Just pick them up alongside the road, bring them here. And uh, from 7 to 8.30, we're going to be praying probably here in the sanctuary. I'm not sure. We're going to be somewhere. So we've got that all figured out. You show up and we'll make sure it happens. So we're going to do that every week from now until uh, probably the election. We may go on longer than that. I don't know. But we're really praying about this uh, election coming up because uh, there's something uh, major about it. Uh, that I'm not totally sure of, but uh, we want to be praying and inserting ourselves into the cloud of witnesses that are praying for us and worldwide, all those that call upon the name of the Lord. I had something happen last night. It's never happened in my life before. You know what it was? I got an email from my refrigerator. That's the first. Our refrigerator blew up this week. 18 years old. Thank the Lord for its 18-year life. It went past its life expectancy. And uh, hopefully that's true for our whole household. So we got a new fridge. And uh, yeah, right before I went to bed, it emailed me. And uh, I got to thinking about it. In fact, I had a hard time going to sleep. Like, what, what does a fridge have to tell me, you know? And of course, it will alert me if the temperature of the power goes off. It'll email me and let me know. But I thought, what would a fridge want to tell me, you know, and I thought, we actually have two fridges, one in the back room, don't ask that why, it's just, it's there, so we have two refrigerators, and they serve a couple different purposes, and um, uh, I thought, well, what if the fridge called me and said, hey, or emailed me and said, hey, I was talking to the other fridge, (laughs) and uh, just want you to know, um, there's some ice cream that you haven't eaten in the back of the freezer. I mean, if it starts emailing me about that, we're going to have some issues, but, but I, I, you know, I made, it was on the internet, I saw it had internet capabilities, and it tells me, like, when there's ice, ice trays full, and the thing that concerns me is that I get on these lists with emails, and they email me every day. They find reasons. Are you on some of those lists? Like, 80% of my emails right now are from fridge-like people that uh, just want to inform me of things that are not really that important. I mean, the, they, the fridge may decide that, you know, there's things in there that have been stale data. I don't know. I don't know how deep this goes, but I just want you to know, I need special prayer on Wednesday. I'm either going to, you know, unfriend my fridge <clears throat> or we're going to have to figure this out. But, or it needs to email me at better times during the day. Anyway, in Luke chapter 8, Luke 8, we're going to talk today about standing firm on the Word of God, the Bible. I have my Bible right here. I've also got it on my phone, but I like the tactile connection with a little book with leather covers. Did you know in the first couple centuries, they, they saw the, the book, even not everyone had one, the book of the scrolls or the gatherings of the Torah and the, what they called the apostles' memoirs, what we call the gospels. The apostles' memoirs and their letters So they had the Torah, the memoirs, and the letters. And they saw them as sacred. 
And that's why they would kiss the scrolls of the Torah before they read it, because they saw it as sacred. And I thought today, we do not treat the book of the word. I mean, you could argue maybe that's going to an extreme, maybe bibliolatry or something like that. I don't know. It's, we've lost a lot of the sacredness in our culture. I mean, I don't want to judge anyone, but people wear pajamas on airplanes now. <clears throat> Not that pajamas aren't sacred, but it's just we've kind of dumbed down a lot of things in culture. And things that were respectful, even allowing older people to go into a door first. I've noticed that now since I'm an older person. There's sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't happen. There's a little preference for one another. Uh, because of certain things in culture, less preference for women. You know, we're all equal, so hey, I'm going to go to the door first, so I'm going to go in. And these, are, these are cultural norms. These are, are things that are not laws. I don't think you go to hell for not letting a woman open the door for a woman, let him in. It's a, it's a common courtesy. It is actually a sign over time of a, 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 a limiting and a lessening of culture. And so we're watching right before our eyes an erosion. And you say, well, that was a silly thing. Why do we do those things anyway? Well, I'm just telling you, Western culture was set up a, a certain way. Western culture, which we live in, which we abide by, and it's being eroded right now. Some things obviously needed to be eroded in Western culture, but it's now going on to things that, that are common courtesies, that are not just something that you're going to go to jail for, you're going to be fined for, whatever. I love the fact that my grandkids got, got a citation yesterday from the Brunswick Hills Police Department. Yeah. They were out riding their bicycles with helmets on, and the police stopped them and came over and cited them for being safe. And if they'll take this citation down to the Brunswick Hills Police Department, they give you gift cards. So I thought, that is brilliant. Where are they in the inner city? We need this uh, citation for doing good in the inner city. If you're trying to build good relationships with policemen, I tell you, those three kids love policemen right now. <laughs> no. And so I thought, well, it's interesting. It's, it's not necessary, but what an amazing thing. When kindness and goodness begins to move within a culture, and today I want to talk a little bit about that from the Word of God, that the Word of God, the Bible, is meant to infuse in us something that sets us apart as followers of the way, followers of Christ, followers with something different that happens in their life that affects culture and actually changes culture over time. If we do not shape culture as believers, others will. Parents, government sometimes is trying to tell us something like uh, you don't have rights over your child. And if you're abusing them, of course, that's a different story. But now abuse is being expanded. It's possible in the days ahead by teaching them the ways of Christ. It could be viewed abusive from the government because you're brainwashing them. If you do not brainwash your children, this is not a meme that needs to go out on the internet, by the way. If you do not brainwash your children, if you do not wash your children in the word of God, somebody else will wash them in someone else's word. And you'll end up with children that you, you may not even like. You'll be like, what did they become? 
You gave them to the government. You gave them to the world. Do not be fooled. You are responsible for your children. You teach them, you train them, you talk openly about the word of God. Well, I, don't wanna, I don't want them raised up just thinking about one thing. If they grow up just thinking about Jesus, they're gonna figure out everything else. And they're gonna be amazing citizens. Doesn't mean you don't tell them about culture. Doesn't mean you don't tell them about what's going on in the world. You measure that according to their age. When they're five years old, they do not need to know about everything. It's not my notes, so I'm in dangerous territory right now. But you will shape their worldview, and you need to. And they'll come to an age where they choose and decide what they want to do. They're going to do that anyway. But they need to know what dad and mom think. They need to know what mom thinks about the culture right now. They need to know what's happening in the world. They need to experience people that are in their lives that discern the times and know what to do. Those are sons and daughters of Issachar. They understood the times and knew what to do. That's two different things. You've got to understand it. I don't want to hear about it. I have to turn. I, I've unplugged from, from social media. I've got off of it. I've got, I understand you take a little, little fast. I get that. I understand it's very stressful. But we're living in a time where you have to take a stand. You cannot walk through life like this. I don't know what's going on. I don't want to know what's going on. I want, no, you need to know about it. But you need to first know the Word of God because the Word of God will shape you and mold you supernaturally into wisdom of salvation. You go, what? Yeah, well, it says that in the Bible, actually. You are being shaped by the Word of God so you can stand when others fall. I've been meditating a lot on that lately. In fact, uh, I've been reading, as I mentioned last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was, about the city of God. City of God that was written 1,600 years ago. Became a cornerstone book for Western culture that we live in right now, written by St. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo. Hippo's in North Africa and Algeria. And so it's an amazing book. It's shaped... History had shaped our founding fathers here in America and what they believed about just wars and things like that all came from Augustine. And so I was reading the other day about the fall of Rome. Fall of Rome has always fascinated me. About every three or four years, I get on this little kick where I restudy it, partly because I want to get it deep into my consciousness, partly because I believe it needs to be shared, and partly because we are in a moment right now uh, similar to the fall of Rome. <clears throat> if you look at the eight great reasons that Rome fell, right now we are, we are uh, activating seven of those eight. Seven of the eight, and, and Rome did fall, and Romans did not think Rome would ever fall. Arguably, Rome lasted for a thousand years, but the beginning of the end was really, uh, well, it's many different spots, but really in 410 AD, 410 AD, the barbarians, so-called barbarians at the time, and they were. I mean, they just pillaged. They were not government people. They were led by former officials of the Roman army. So they had gone to the dark side, organized them in such a way they became ruthless. And they would come into a city, burn, pillage, rape. Horrible. Horrible. It's like a weekend in downtown Chicago. I mean, it was just horrible. And uh, not only did it overwhelm the Roman government, 
and begin a slow end to it, but it, it brought terror into people's minds. There was no more safety. There was a measure of safety. During the Roman Empire, it was not the greatest empire in the world, but I mean, in the sense of being just and good in all ways, but it, it was the leader at the time. And for practical, all practical purposes, it, it brought about peace uh, in the country. But the week after, we don't usually think about this, Augustine hears quickly, this is in ancient times, just the end of the classical period. And he hears about the fall of Rome. And many in his congregation in Northern Africa were Romans from Rome that actually moved for whatever purposes to Northern Africa. A little bit more of a place of peace, I guess. And uh, with all the various things going on in Rome. And his sermon, Augustine's sermon, the week after Rome was invaded and was the beginning of the end and he knew it. People were weeping. I mean, there's such distress to the outer edges of Rome. Everyone was like, it's over, it's over. They, they invaded the city and then came back a little later and burned it basically to the ground. And they did that every city they went to. And Augustine immediately knew that they will eventually arrive in North Africa. It was like the Nazis during World War II. As they walked in on countries and countries were just turned over in a minute, people did not stand. We could argue whether we would have stood, whether we would have said no, no, no to the Nazis. Do not kill the Jews. We always like to think we would. You know, we like to think we'd say Jesus rather than Barabbas, release Jesus. We don't know. We don't know until we come to that moment. What are the things that, that differentiate between a person who does not protect Jews during World War II in Europe and those that do? What's the difference between those that come in and say literally, like we used to say in the 70s, back then the big enemy was Soviet Union. When they come, they were an anti-Christ country in the view of America. When they come, what if they had a, a, a weapon pointed at you and said, you need to deny Christ or you're gonna die. That has happened in history. What would you do in that moment? And we used to kind of fantasize. There were songs written about it in the 70s, you know. You know, about when the Lord would come in power and what will you do? What, how will you stand? Will you be the person you think you are? What is the depth that's going on in your heart? I tell you, there's only one way to get a depth where you can guarantee in your heart you know how you're gonna respond in the future. And that's to get the word of God, the Bible inside of you in massive amounts. Because the word of God fortifies your soul. It changes you into a different person. And in the moments of crisis, in the moment where it's difficult and the challenge is there, you will stand in the midst of it. Peter denied Christ three times. Judas betrayed him and eventually committed suicide. Only one showed up at the most difficult moment in Jesus' life, which at the cross, it was John. We could argue Mary was there because Mary was, is, was viewed as an apostle by the Catholic Church. But Mary and John and some of the women came to stand with him with, with no fear, apparently, of being discovered as friends or relatives of Jesus. But on that week, right after Rome fell, think about it. If you heard today that, that Washington, D.C. had been nuked, by the way, since 9-11, Washington now has a plan of what happens if the entire head of the United States is decapitated. What would we do? There's many movies out about this, you know. 
But what would hit your heart? The first thing that would hit your heart is deep grief and, and followed closely by fear. You would say, and you say, why? This is summer. It's the first Sunday of summer. Let's talk about lilies and roses and the outdoors and barbecues. It was a great food last week, wasn't it? That pulled pork sandwich was, was amazing. I'm still living on that. It was a great time together. Why do it? Well, because we're in the middle of a season right now. We're in the middle of a season in the United States where we need to look and begin to pray, insert ourselves into this. Will we have to shed blood because of this? I don't know. I sure hope not. I don't really like the sight of blood myself. But I love that in Hebrews, they talk about those who have not even come to the point of the shedding of blood. It was seen as a mark of Christianity. Have you yet shed blood? No. Okay. Well, you're a, you're a follower of Jesus, but, but you haven't entered into the realm of the martyrs. In fact, it actually became popular in the first and second century to be a martyr. You know, songs were written about being martyrs. Like, well, I'm glad I'm not in that century. Well, we don't want to get into that time either. And so God's calling us now. Augustine, the week after, this is what he said. It was brilliant. And then we're going to get over to Luke and we're going to go out and have chicken or something. But in, uh, in 410, the week after Rome was overwhelmed, his sermon said this, God does not raise up citadels of stone and marble for us. Outside of this world, he raises up citadels of the Holy Spirit for us. Citadels of love, which can never collapse. So what he's doing is he's inserting the eternal into the temporal. That's, what, that's who you are. You are an insertion of the eternal into a temporal world. We are citizens not of this world, according to Scripture. We are citizens of heaven. We recognize our citizenship of the United States. Some of you may be dual citizens or tri-citizens or whatever. Cindy's a dual citizen of the United States and Canada. But also the kingdom of heaven. So Augustine's talking about this to reassure him that this world, although we love some things in this world, we are at a place in human history where things, even for the poor and the broken, are pretty good when you compare it to ancient history. Even the worst off have it better than they did throughout history. And so these citadels of the Holy Spirit, citadels of love, which will ever stand in glory when this world has been reduced to ashes. Rome has collapsed, and your hearts are outraged by this. Rome was built by men like yourself. Since when did you believe that, that men had the power to build things that are eternal? Your souls, filled with the light of the Holy Spirit, will not perish. When I read that, I got chills. I thought, "Woo! that's right after Rome collapsed. Would we talk that way if Washington, D.C. collapsed? Would we say, you know what? We love this country. We've had a great ride. But you know what? My citizenship is in heaven. We don't even like to think about that. We immediately go, well, hey, if they try to attack America, there's a whole lot of weapons in America. The world knows that. I mean, there's going to be a a terrorist move here in the United States that'll last for decades. That's probably true. 
It's going to be very hard to occupy this country. But it won't be occupied by that all-out attack. It's going to be occupied in the United States by drips, one at a time, over decades at a time, eroding the very foundations of Judeo-Christianity. It is called in Scripture the spirit of the Antichrist. At the core of everything that happens right now is the name of Jesus. It's eroding the very faith in Jesus Christ. So turn with me if you could. I just want to look at this for a few minutes and kind of whet your appetite on this. In Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower is so powerful. I know it's very basic, but I wanted to go over it again. In fact, sometimes I, I omit basic things because I assume that we've heard these things many times. And I, I felt the Holy Spirit telling me, you know, to continue to speak basic things, although I love to talk about deeper things, you know, uh, what can be deeper than the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Luke chapter eight says this in verse four, when a great multitude had gathered, Luke is the physician is writing this as a personal friend and co-laborer with Jesus Christ. They'd come to him from every city. He spoke by a parable and he said this in verse five, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and it, with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried. Isn't this interesting? He cried. He who has ears to hear let him hear. Here's the deal. The ears are key in the registering of something in your heart that creates actional change in a person. Several times in Scripture, Jesus rebuked those who heard but did not do. There's always this hearing. You got to hear. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. But then you've got to not just let faith be developed. Faith needs to be actively, it's kinetic, you move on it. You do what's in the Word of God. All right now, there's a big battle of what's in the Word of God. LBGTQ community, a lot of Christians in there, uh, professing Christians that say that it's fine to have relations with people that are same-sex, where you're same-sex attracted and all that. But we look in Scripture, without being legalistic, we look in Scripture at the very spirit of love and something within us says, this is not right. Gay marriage is not right. That starts registering in your heart. If you just hold an opinion as a, a temporal, earthly dweller, you go, well, whatever people want to do, you become a libertarian. You say, whatever people really want to do, what business of mine, what you do in your own house is your own. And that's true. In governmental sense, it's true. It's funny because people come back and they, they come back with scripture. People that you know, many have never read a verse in their Bible. They just Google this before they came and talked about it. And they quote scripture totally out of context, something like God doesn't, God doesn't judge. Jesus said that. Well, actually scripture says that we're gonna judge angels, so we need to learn how to judge one another. But you don't get judgmental, you learn how to rightly discern. Let's just change the terminology, because that's a big thing nowadays. Let's change the terminology so you feel a little bit better about it. We learn to rightly discern moments. There's reasons why you don't want your children hanging around with certain kids because you've discerned a moment. You've discerned an individual. You've judged somebody. 
I said, I don't like you hanging around with that person, not because of their color, not because of their hit, it's because of something about them as an individual. It's their character. Character will influence it. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. So you learn that proximity is important for the development of a person. What's been shaped in your mind is important for your lifetime. It's firmitas in the Latin. It's the firmness, the solidity. The word of God gives you an anchor. I don't know if you believe in absolute truths, but there are some absolute truths. There are absolutes. Believers believe in absolutes. Well, sometimes our absolutes have been wrong in the past. We've got absolute about things that really don't matter. <laughs> Maybe the length of your hair in the 70s, you know, for guys. For women, who knows what it was? I forget now, but it was because I was a guy. I uh, didn't really notice that part. But there were, there were church standing against visual things that were not actually absolutes. They're absolutes. There's cultural mores or norms there in the middle. I write about my book, Your Prophetic Life Map. There's cultural norms that, that like how we eat, when we eat, uh, what we dress, how we dress, even coming into this service is not a biblical mandate that we meet at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. It just says they, there was a regular gathering and do not forsake that regular gathering. So we gather together culturally. We've determined it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And we gather throughout the week. Those are cultural norms. And then there's personal preference. Personal preference is what kind of ice cream you like. You like spaghetti. You like certain pastas, but you don't like that. But those are all personal things. There's nothing wrong with that. But there are absolutes. Your personal preferences will shift greatly throughout your life. I never liked sauerkraut <laughs> until it came with a hot dog. <laughs> and I fell in love with it. I never liked corned beef. I don't know what was wrong with me. And then St. Patrick's Day came. And I had some corned beef at Joe's Diner. Amazing, amazing, nothing like it, that big. You have to cut it in half. Hopefully you eat a quarter of it, you know. That's a, that's a cultural thing. It's a personal preference. It is not absolute. Everyone needs to eat corned beef or you're not going to heaven. There's something true about that, but anyway, it's not something we can impress on one another. So right now, if I don't agree with something someone says, I'm canceled. You're out of it. And every evil that I can think about you now has been put upon you. That is judging. <laughs> that is true judgment. So how are you going to survive this? How are you going to know when to speak up and when to shut up? There are times you need to shut up. But there are times, too, you need to speak up. It's interesting that that Paul the Apostle, I was just reading it this week in my daily reading, Paul the Apostle is on a ship as a prisoner with over 200 other people. That's a big ship. This week, we're talking first century. And they get out there and he has a centurion, he is guarding him, somebody who's over 100 soldiers they put on Paul to deliver him to Rome. So he's probably one of several people that are, that are it's, it's the prison bus, basically. They're on there with some other prisoners that are probably chained and hundreds of other people that are going onto the destination. They get out in this horrific storm and Paul tells them that, that 
that an angel came to him and told him that if nobody gets off this ship, they will be saved. The ship will be lost, but they will be saved. So over the period of days, as they're fighting this major battle, this storm, it flips where now the prisoner is guiding the ship. Paul, maybe the only Christian on board, the prisoner in chains is now speaking to the captain, the centurion, as someone tried to escape the ship on a little boat, like a little raft, you know. They're gonna put it down into the water, jump on her and get away so they could get to the shore or something like that. And Paul says, you must stop that. If they get away, we will not be saved. Who is this guy? Who is gonna believe him? Hundreds of people in the room like, who made you? You're a prisoner. Who made you the captain of this ship? But they're conferring with him because he knows an angel. He knows Jesus. He hears from God. By the way, that's a very fickle environment. You can be a God person in one minute and, and be the enemy in the next. You can be an enemy in one minute and be a hero in the next. He gets on the shore. Finally, the ship does break apart. And he tells everyone, you will be saved. Swim to shore if you can. Those of you who can't, he's directing the boat. Those of you who can't swim, grab some wood and you'll make it to shore. You will be safe. I assure you, the angel told me that you will be safe. Do you know the hope that that brought in their heart in the midst of this ship being torn apart? I mean, they're probably like, I'm believing that guy in chains. I don't know why, but it just feels good. Feels like the right thing. Someone's got something to say. The captain would have destroyed the ship. The centurion would have made the wrong decision. Everyone in the boat would have panicked. People would have been killed on board before they ever got off the boat. But one man, a prisoner with the Holy Spirit inside, speaks up, takes a stand. In the right moment, any other situation, they were, anyone would have ignored him. He's a prisoner. He's a loser. Something's wrong with him. He's anti-Roman. I don't know anything about him, but I don't like him. All he has is a voice. He begins to speak up in the middle of a major shipwreck. Hundreds of people, this will be in every paper in the Roman Empire. Hundreds of people died as they hit the shoal. And it says, and the bow of the ship was being ripped apart by the seas. What, what brings you into a situation where you can be at peace? What allows you to walk on the water just by a word that Jesus spoke? Come to me. All right, jump out. I mean, you go, I would have done that. I would have jumped out. <laughs> you wouldn't. You wouldn't. I wouldn't have either. We'd be like, oh, no, no. You come to me. You first. <laughs> come over here. You know, I'm not getting out of that water. But something wells up. Why did they walk on water? Because the word of God became a plane that they could walk on. If you've got the word of God in your heart, whatever you face at work, whatever you face in your neighborhood, whatever this nation thinks, you know what, you know what the future of this nation to be saved is? It's the believers in this country. But it's gotta be believers who are willing to, I wrote it down this week. You gotta vote and you gotta pray. You gotta vote and you gotta pray. You are responsible to vote. We don't have dictators in the United States, yes, but we could get that. Fortunately, the good thing historically about this country is you actually have a voice. 
So you speak your voice and you pray. You speak your voice and you pray. You speak your voice and you pray. And you continue to do that through voting or whatever it is. You speak your voice on the internet till you're kicked off. You speak your voice because if you do not, others are speaking their voice and we're gonna end up with a very different country 20 years from now. The Lord, the Holy Spirit warned me about two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. Holy Spirit said, that's why we're praying on Wednesdays right now. Holy Spirit told me that this next election is determined, it could determine, the, and I'm talking about 2024, could determine the next 20 years in the United States. And I, you know, I kind of know naturally this is, this is a key election coming up, you know, because of the, the physical health of our president and, and the difficulties that are going on in the United States right now. In fact, let me just, I'm gonna finish this scripture in a minute and, and, uh, and hopefully button it down here, but let me just tell you a little bit of the stresses that are in the United States right now. I did talk about on my podcast this week, we're doing a weekly podcast that covers information that I couldn't cover on Sunday morning so we can get it out there that you can, you can listen to this week if you want to. Uh, but here's what's going on in our nation right now. I came up with 20 different things in about two minutes. Gender confusion, LBGTQ, these are challenges. Pandemic that continues to emerge. I have friends that have, have uh, uh, the virus right now. Fossil fuels, sex trafficking, racism, interest rates, elections, supply chain, control overreach, the presidential son problem, crime, violence, immigrant flood, literally a flood across the border. Nuclear family is being destroyed. Political extremes, drugs, fentanyl, terrorism, inflation, that's a quick list in two minutes. There's, there's been no other time I can remember in my lifetime that I could have wrote, written all these things down and actually I'm expanding that list right now. In the midst of that, where are we as believers? We're feeling the erosion of America. America collapses. Let me tell you what I'm gonna do. Exactly what I'm doing right now. Exactly. I'd prefer to do it in a free United States, but we're gonna to continue to do it regardless on this property as long as they would let us. But what do we need to do? We need to shape culture. I'm so appreciative of Jana Porter here in the second row running for Congress uh, this year. Uh, was, was not able to get through the uh, primaries, but I, the Lord's been speaking to me about her. I think she's, she's in a training time right now. I'm believing that God's going to do something in her life in 2024 that's going to be very powerful. I believe that she, I told her this in person, I believe she's going to be a voice on the, on the capital steps, and, and she's going to be such a type, she's going to be a lightning rod that attracts people all around them. The news media will follow her like they do many other people, and she's going to come out of this house. Uh, Chris Vallotton, when he was here uh, two times ago, prophesied over me and said, this church will produce uh, uh, politicians uh, that will um, go and, and uh, have great impact. He says, look at your church as a seedbed of politicians. And of course, then Janet ran and I thought, well, if it's a seedbed, there's lots of seeds. God's gonna raise up out of this church in, in school councils and your PTA, whatever it is, whatever level. I mean, your HOA in your neighborhood, it doesn't matter. Whatever is going on where you can have a voice, not one of control, but a voice of reason, a voice of understanding, a voice that is saturated in the word of God. Back to the scripture, we'll finish this up. 
in Luke 8, it says, Jesus now explains the whole seed thing. He says this, the parable, verse 11. The seed is the word of God. So we're, the, the seed is being sown, which is God's word, the Bible. So important in our culture. Some will fall by the wayside. Those are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes the word out of their hearts. Some people here are gonna hear something, get some faith or hope, and the devil's gonna steal it. He's gonna talk you out of it. But the ones on the rock, some fell upon the rock, are those when they hear, receive the word with joy. Woo, I love it. I love Bethel Cleveland. I love my Bible. I love being here. We've all seen those people. And they have no root. They're just like, woo, I'm green. I came forward. I'm, I'm not a seed anymore. I'm with you guys. We, I mean, I've been doing this 44 years. There's a lot of, I've never, I've never forget the first lady in my ministry is 1980. A lady came up to me one Sunday. She'd been coming for four months, key part of our church here in Brunswick, 1980. And she came up to me. She was so touched. She said, Pastor Steve, I am going to be here the rest of my life. It was the last time I saw her. <laughs> the devil stole that seed. There wasn't a root. I don't know what it was, but when, when the heat comes on, there's no root. They believe for a while. It says right here in Scripture, and in time of temptation, fall away. There's a lot of people falling away right now across the country. Key people. It's, it's a sign of the times. Don't fear that. We pray for it, but we do not fear it. Verse 14. Now, the ones that fell among thorns are those who have had heard, so they heard the word. There's a lot of people who are going to hear the word and just aren't going to make it all the way because of the condition of their heart. The seed has to get into good soil, a soil that is broken before the Lord, a soil that is desperate before God receives the seed of God. This is the one that fell among the thorns. They've heard. They go out. So they hear and they go. They go out and are choked with cares. Listen to this. Cares, riches, and the pleasures of life. Culture. Culture is affecting believers right now and robbing them of the seed. It's choking out the potential. And many of them are falling and leaving the faith. Listen to this. But the ones, by the way, out of that, they bring no fruit to maturity. So all these seeds failed. That's like, what? what is, I don't even know percentage-wise. 80% of the seed fails. But some seed, Verse 15, the ones that fell on good ground are those who have heard the word today with a noble and good heart. Keep it and bear fruit with repentance. Let's all stand together for good. Oh, let's love our Bibles. Let's love the word of God. Whoa. Let's fill ourselves up with the Word of God. Yeah. And I want to confess strength over you right now. Lord, I speak your Word over this congregation. Let it work in the hearts. Let the power of the Word of God come in our hearts. That which is spoken through preaching, the kerygma, the power of preaching, where it goes in different than just watching a TV program or something. Lord, I pray for the preaching of the seed right now to go into every person's heart. And may it find, Lord God, a ripe and ready heart. I pray out of this congregation, this little greenhouse, 
out here in Brunswick by Healy Creek. I pray, Lord, on this property of 21 acres, Bethel, Cleveland, will emerge a group of people that change their world. We want goodness upon our city. And if it doesn't come, we will continue to worship the Lord. We will continue to walk in His ways. To the shedding of blood, I don't want to think about it, but yes, even to the shedding of blood. I pray, Lord, for the seed of God to hit hearts that are ripe, that are ready. And may it not just be them hearing the Word of God like what we saw, but Lord, may it bear fruit. I pray, Lord, that this week people are going to feel something a little different than what they felt before. And it's the budding of fruit in their lives. It's the Holy Spirit prompting us and pleading through us to bear fruits of righteousness, peace. Let's just say what it is. It's love, joy, and peace. Love, joy, and peace. Let love, joy, and peace come out of us all week long in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.